Well, good morning. What a wonderful day that the Lord has made. We get to be together today and uh, enjoy each other's company, encourage one another. And uh, this is another reason this is a great day is because it's a third Sunday and we have potluck on our third Sunday. But today we are going to take uh, some special opportunity to acknowledge our families here at Summers Avenue who are fostering or have adopted uh, recently. And so uh, we want to invite everyone to join us uh, after services this morning. I know Steve's going to probably expound on this a little bit more, uh, but I want to get that out there to you early today as we appreciate so much uh, the Millers and the Hollies and the Shrams who have opened up their hearts and their homes and adopted these children into their families, fostering these children as their family. And uh, you, you have, many of you have experienced this in your lifetime at some stage or another, whether personally or whether uh, your friends or family have, have been uh, working in God's kingdom in this same manner. And so uh, what a joy it is to our hearts. And uh, we just want to, in a formal way, uh, acknowledge them uh, this morning and show them how much we appreciate them and their work in God's kingdom. So we're going to do that uh, following services this morning. So let me ask you this. How many of you... Uh, have had your share of job interviews. How many of you had your share? A lot of job interviews? Anybody? Yeah. So you love them, right? It's one of the greatest, most fun things about looking for employment. If you're an employer, right, Mark Goodsell? It's one of your favorite thing is interviewing people for a job. We love that. And some of us have been through this arduous process multiple times, almost in exhaustion. And some are getting ready to because we've graduated or we've got summer jobs that we're trying to line up uh, as school gets out. And so I haven't met anyone that says, I love job interviews. It's just what they look forward to. So whether you're doing the hiring or whether you're the one that is looking to be hired, the whole process can really be a gamble. And so uh, you always wonder, will, will I fit? And so if you're hiring, you wonder, do they fit? And so you're trying to, to size all this up. How stable is the company? How stable is the employee? And so uh, the trouble is everyone puts on their, their best appearance, puts on their, their, their best face, nice face, during an interview process. And how refreshing it would be if what you saw was what you got. Came across this sign. We're hiring low pay, bad hours, jerk boss, apply now. Wouldn't that be great if you just going in, you knew what you could expect? Or, or how about this, for, for those who are looking to hire, now hiring must have a clue. And so really that's what it gets down to, right? You think about all of the, the time and the money that's wasted when it takes probably you know, three to four weeks to find out that the person you just hired to fill this position has as much sense as the tree out in the yard. And so you know, it's never what you see is what you get, is it? And that's interesting. Sometimes you can be pleasantly surprised at how well somebody works out at a job or a position. And that's, to me that's interesting because we're pleasantly surprised. Why? Because we don't expect it. We expect it to be just a big, messed up, headache process. And that's unfortunate. It really is. Have you ever thought about a slogan like this that we have seen? Good help is hard to find. And we believe that and we've experienced that. Why? Because it's true. And I think it started, in fact, because good help is hard to find. And why is good help hard to find? It's basically because I think people, for the most part, are self-centered and self-serving. I'm looking in the mirror. I mean, when it comes down to it, the nitty-gritty, we're self-serving, self-promoting. We usually don't put the interest of the employer first because the first, our first question is, what's the benefit? What's my benefit in working for you? And so employers everywhere complain that good health is just hard to find. And it works the other way too because good jobs can be hard to find. Why? Because employers 
are basically self-centered and self-serving. They're trying to promote their business. And so they don't often put their employees' interests first in a general sense. And so it's rare to find a job where the employer genuinely cares about your welfare first and foremost, primarily. And there are some expectations that we should have as Christians when we are in the workplace, whether an employee or whether an employer, whether a supervisor or whether just somebody who's trying to sweep the floors. The Apostle Paul addresses this in his letter to the Ephesians. We've been in this letter for several weeks now, and we are in chapter 6 here. And as we've seen over the weeks, we're called to live by different standards than people who are not following Christ. And so our lives must look different. We have different expectations when it comes to relationships with non-Christ followers or when it comes to relationships with fellow Christians or within our families or when it comes to relationships within a spiritual family of the church. There are different expectations for us who follow Christ. And so granted, Paul is directing his instruction here to slaves and masters because that was the culture he he was talking to here in the first century. And we need to get a bit of understanding about this passage and this section because it can be hard for us to read behind what he's saying here. So slavery had been an accepted institution in the Roman world for centuries. This wasn't something new as as Paul was penning this letter here. And so it was estimated that between one-third and one-half of the population during this time in first century Rome were slaves. And so slavery in first century Roman Empire occurred voluntarily as well as involuntary. And so the the culture of slavery was very different from how we understand slavery as we look through the lens of American history. And so this was voluntarily here because maybe a debt or a hardship that you couldn't pay back, and so you placed yourself in in the servitude of another so that you could pay back that debt for a certain period of time, or um, maybe it was involuntary because you were a prisoner of war of the Roman Empire, and so they gathered up all the prisoners and made them slaves of the empire. And so uh, the majority of the slaves coming into the first century were slaves of prisoners of war. And so um, uh, the most common actually during this time, as, as Paul is writing, would be generational slaves, meaning that somebody was born into slavery because their parents, mother or father, had been a slave. And so they were born into slavery. So uh, that's all they'd known all their lives. So critics of the Bible will attack Paul as they read this, and they'll, they'll say he didn't condemn slavery directly. But if he had done so at this time, it would have led to an armed revolt. It would have upended the Christian faith and the work that was being moved forward with this, and it would have, Christianity would have been stamped out as an anti-slavery movement. And that was not Paul's purpose. See, Paul's purpose as we read through his letters, and actually through the whole entire New Testament, the purpose is not to change the culture. The purpose is to change the person. And by changing the person, the culture cannot help but be changed. So that's Paul's goal here. So instead, Paul seeks to show how the teaching of slavery or the teaching of Christ transforms those who are living in this slave-master relationship, change it from one of, of property and ownership to one of mutual submission. And so in doing so, when practice is taught, it leads to the transformation of the culture around it, the culture of slavery. And so Paul writes to Christians here in Ephesians chapter 6 and beginning in verse 5. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and with fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people, 
because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So what do we do with this today? How do we handle this today? This section is placed in a a grouping of what is known as household codes. The household code. And we we live under this today. We have general rules of conduct, maybe formal or informal, that that we live in our culture, whether it's in a a workplace, whether it's in a place of, of entertainment, whether it's within our house itself. We have kind of general rules, some spoken, some unspoken. And so this is known as a household code or a domestic code. And so within the house, you would have had husbands and wives, as we've seen, loving one another as Christ loves the church, mutually submitting to one another. And you have parents and children who live within this relationship of obedience, children obeying their parents and and caring for one another as the example of Christ and God, Father and Son, living and caring for one another. And so now within this household, we see the master and slave. You have one who has authority and then one who lives under authority or one who wields authority and one who has to submit to that authority. So you have one who's responsible for the business of the household and the one who's carrying out the business of the household. And we can look at this and we can see practically how those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those who are in Christ Jesus, who subject themselves to one another in the fear of Christ, how they should relate to one another in a workplace environment, a place of authority and a place of subordination. And so your relationship to Christ and the fact that you live primarily for heaven, that should transform how you perform yourself at work. It should transform our work relationships because our relationship with Christ is the primary thing in life. That's first and foremost. And Paul drives this home in this passage here through this repetition of how central our relationship to Jesus Christ as Lord really is. And note what he does here in in, uh, verse 5. He says, as to Christ. And he says in verse 6, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. In verse 7, as to the Lord. In verse 8, receive back from the Lord. In verse 9, their master and yours is in heaven. So you can't miss it when you read this passage here that as a believer, our relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord is our primary governing fact of life. That's what directs everything else. It certainly should. And so every believer should live every day with the focus that I fear Christ. I revere Him. I'm no longer my own. I'm now His. I belong to Christ as my Lord. I subject myself to Him. And so I must do His will And I must live to please Him because someday I'm going to stand before Him and I'm going to answer for the decisions, the choices I've made in this body and I'm going to receive the gift, the reward for my faithful obedience. And so that should drive us in everything we do. Jesus Christ must be at the center of all that we think and all that we do. After all, what's the greatest command? You remember this. Jesus records in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And so then he goes on to say the greatest command is like it. We love one another. Love each other. But the Lord doesn't put that command first. 
Love each other isn't first. First is love the Lord your God. And it's deliberate that it's placed there because that's the primary thing in life. That's the most important thing is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this foundation for everything else is that you love God who has made Himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so our relationship with Jesus is primary. It's primo. It's number one. And so my question this morning, thoughtful question, is it primary for you? If you reflect on last week, was, was your schedule reflective of Jesus Christ being primary in your life? You know, did you meet alone with God and His Word to learn more about Him? Did you spend time with Him and, and, and discern how He wants you to live? Did you submit every thought that came to mind to every decision, every word that you spoke? Did you submit that, every deed that you committed to Jesus Christ and to God's will? Did we ask, does this, does what this I'm doing, does what I'm thinking, does what I'm about to embark on, is this decision, is it going to bring glory? Does it please Jesus Christ, my Lord? And did you take your needs to Him in prayer? See, we can't begin to have the right perspective towards our job or towards our boss or towards our employees unless we first get right with Jesus Christ, that He is central to our life. And Paul makes this clear that we work primarily for Jesus. That's who our focus should be on. So our relationship with Christ, our focus should be primarily on heaven, eternal things, not on this world. But we've got to live in this world because God has given us this world to live in and to be bearers of His light, His will, to those around us. And so slaves in Roman society could be treated terribly. They're, they're masters, the ones who wielded authority over them, had that option. They could, they could whip them, they could brand them, they could mutilate them, they could kill them. Sometimes just for spite, to get back at them for something they didn't like that they did, they would separate the family forever. Send one of the family members off. You'd never see them again. And so Augustus, Emperor Augustus, crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet quail. Yeah. I mean, you think it's... Bad because you forgot to close the copier lid at work. Don't, don't kill your boss's pet quail. I mean, this was serious stuff here. And Paul says, submit. Paul says, mm, be good. When all this is going on here. And there, there is a record of owners, slave owners, whose greatest pleasure quoted, listening to the sweet song of my slaves being flogged. And so when Paul tells slaves, in effect, you be good slaves and you'll be rewarded in heaven. The critics listen to that and say, well, that's pie in the sky when you die. What about now? What's going on now? See, the cruel disregard for the hardships of these poor victims is where the, the conflict comes in with following the will of God. God doesn't disregard this. God doesn't overlook this, how people are treated. But God says there's a higher priority, a higher calling, a higher principle, a higher focus in the midst of this because God's not just watching who's disobeying. He's watching who is obeying because their reward is great in heaven. And so, you know, some people say, we need to organize a protest, you know. The slaves of the world unite. Stand up for your rights. But it's at that point that we have to decide, do we go the world's way or do we go God's way? What choice are we going to make? The two could not be much more opposed when it comes to the conflicts in, in areas like this. And so the world says, you fight for your rights. Put up a fight. Don't take this abuse. God says what? Slaves, obey your earthly masters. 
Obey them with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would my Son, Christ Jesus, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for how you do that. Your reward is great in heaven. So the world's focus is on the here and now. And we've got, we got to have some focus on the here and now, but our primary focus, our big lens, our, our front windshield, needs to be heaven, eternal purpose, eternal calling, eternal walk. So, you know, why should I day after day work in a difficult job that has no rewards for me? Paul says because that's not the point. The point is whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. He says knowing that whatever you do, each one does, your deeds will come back to you because the Lord's going to reward you in heaven. So why should I treat my workers decently and not threaten those no-good lazy bums when they don't do their jobs? And Paul says, because knowing that both their master and yours... See, you're not really boss. You're not really supervisor. You're not really the one in charge. God is. Knowing that both their master and yours is God in heaven. That's why. There's no partiality with God. And so both of these verses point to eternity because of this relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship, both the Christian, whether you're master or slave, whether you're boss or whether you're employee, should have their focus on things in heaven. Rewards in heaven. Laying up for eternity. Not rewards in this life. So I wonder how many of us did something this past week because we were consciously motivated by the thought that the Lord's going to reward us in heaven for it. How many of us did that, I wonder? You know, where is our focus? There's a story about an old missionary, a missionary and his, his wife, who were coming back from Africa. They had to leave. They'd been there for decades serving the Lord. And because of health, some other reasons, they had to come back to the United States. So they went down to, to the, the dock there, and they were going to get on a boat to go back to New York City. They had no pension. They had no retirement. Their health and their heart was broken because they had to leave this. And so when they went down to the wharf to get on the boat... There was all this fanfare. They discovered they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt. And so Teddy Roosevelt was just finishing up one of his big game hunts and he was getting on the boat there in Africa heading back to the United States. And so they're on the boat with him. And when they boarded the ship, no one paid any attention to the missionaries. These people who had served their entire lives, given up everything in this world for God and the message of Jesus Christ. Nobody paid any attention to them. They were, had a band playing for the president. There were people there cheering, waving, straining to get a glimpse at this great man. And so everybody boarded the boat. The ship moved across the ocean. And the old missionary said to his wife, Dear, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this picture. How, why should we have given our entire lives in faithful service to God in Africa in all these years and yet no one cares about us? No one cares what we've done. And here this man comes back from a big game hunt and he gets all this hoopla, all this fanfare. Everybody turns out for him. And his wife replies, Dear, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't you love it, guys? <laughs> well, you shouldn't feel that way. Well, I do feel that way, though. You shouldn't feel that. Try not, try not to be bitter about it. But he said, I just can't help it because it doesn't seem right. And it doesn't seem right, does it? when we're working and trying to do the right things and being the right people and, and we're the ones that end up at the end of the line, we're the ones that end up without the promotion, we're the ones that end up having to jump job to job to job because we can't work in that hostile environment trying to be the Christian we're supposed to be. It doesn't seem right, does it? 
Why am I struggling so much with this? Well, when the ship docked <coughs> in New York, <coughs> a band was waiting to greet the president. And so the mayor of New York was there, a bunch of national leaders were there, and the papers carried the story on the front page. This was a big deal. The president has returned. Let's see what he has accomplished. No one noticed the missionaries. They slipped off the boat and they went their way on into town looking for some way to make some money, looking for some flat, some apartment in which they could live for a while, some, some meager existence. And the man's, missionary man's spirit was broken. He was heartbroken. He felt that God had abandoned them and it just wasn't fair. Why doesn't someone help us as they walk by all these people? He's thinking that. And why aren't they glad to see us? All that we've done. Why doesn't God see our need? And his wife looked at him and she said, Honey, because we're not home yet. See, they're welcoming these people home. But we're not home yet. See, our focus is eternal. That's why, this, that's why we don't feel this reward today. That's why we're not getting this celebration today because we're not home yet. We're still traveling. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So do you have a boring job? Do you have a, a boss that's, that's such a burden? Is being a boss such a burden for you? Maybe even oppressive. Maybe even regretful. Do you look at each day with dread, thinking, what a hassle i got to do this again. Day after day, as you grind through work, Paul says, get an eternal perspective. The one way to change, you may not be able to change your circumstances, but you can absolutely change your attitude. That's a struggle. That's a challenge. And that's why we need the strength of God's Spirit and the reliance on Him to help us change our perspective and our attitudes. Paul says get an eternal perspective. Even if your earthly boss doesn't reward you, your heavenly master will. And that does not in any way mean that we've got to look for, we shouldn't look for a better job or try to better our circumstances. That's part of progressing in this life. We can do that. But it does mean that our relationship with Christ should put our primary focus on heaven, eternal things, not on this earth. See, Jesus will change our perspective on people and on possessions, and on purpose. That's what He will do if we let Him do that. So we can, as Paul says, serve wholeheartedly with all of our heart as if we were serving the Lord and not people. And so your relationship with Jesus Christ should make you the best employee on the job. And your relationship with Jesus Christ should make you the best supervisor or manager on the job. And your relationship with Jesus Christ should make your business the best environment in which to work in your market. That's what it does. That's what that relationship does. It should make your place of business the place everybody wants to be. Not that they can or should, but they want to. See, Christian employees should be obedient, ethically and scripturally. Christian employees should be conscientious and focused on purpose. Purpose of our job. Genuine, enthusiastic. Christian employers should be those who, who are golden rule followers, <clears throat> treating their employees the way that they would want to be treated. Knowing that while there may be partiality in roles and responsibilities, somebody's got to be in charge, somebody's got to follow along. There is that. But in the eyes of God, there is no partiality. 
February 22, 1899, Elbert Hubbard was an editor of a small magazine. And so they were needing some filler for the next issue. They were on a timeline. And so he sat down at dinner, and in an hour he pinned out the, the filler, an article, to run without a title, didn't have a title for it, in that next day's paper. He didn't think much more about it. And so paper was published. A few weeks later, requests came in for copies of this issue of the paper. They wanted requests. And at first it was a dozen and 50 requests, 100 requests, 1,000 requests came in. And the editor, was, he was puzzled. Why is everybody so interested in this issue of the paper? And they said, well, it's this article. It's the no-name article that ran. And so the president of a railroad got a copy of this article, and he distributed one and a half million copies to people in his area. So now this thing has gone viral <laughs> at this time. And so a Russian railroad executive was touring the United States at that time. He got a copy of it, and he took it back overseas and distributed it, where it ended up being translated into 37 languages, selling over 40 million copies and becoming one of the best-selling printed items ever, ever printed. So why was there such a demand for this? Why was this draw so much excitement? Well, it later gained a message title, which is a message to Garcia. And so this is about an incident in the Spanish-American War. And President McKinley at that time wanted a message delivered personally to a general who was there, General Garcia, in the interior of Cuba. And an American officer heard about this, Lieutenant Rowan. And Lieutenant Rowan went and volunteered to accept the assignment. He said, tell me what to do and I'll do it. And so he got the message, and he took this message with, with no procrastination, no fanfare. Nobody even knew about it. In spite of great difficulty and danger, he went through enemy lines, traveled all this distance by himself, and delivered this message to Garcia. <clears throat> and so this is, this is us. This is Christianity. In a sense that when we are given something to do, if it's moral and ethical, we should do it. We should be people that people know they can count on, especially in a place of employment. Who do you need to do the, the job that's got to get done, the important job? Get that guy. They may not know you're a Christian, but they know you do the job. And the reason you do it is because you work for the Lord and not for man. See, we should be the best employee. We should be the best employer for that job because our attitude and our performance testify to our Savior. We testify to Him in all that we do. And so our attitudes and our work ethic may be the only Bible that our people that we work with ever read. You may be the only Bible that people in your life will ever open. What do they see? What do they hear? How will they experience God through your life? Even if you are never rewarded in this life, your Master in Heaven will reward you throughout eternity. That's Jesus' promise. That's the promise of Christ. Here's another promise He has. That He is faithful and just to forgive us. Because we don't always act like this, do we? We get caught up in the, the gripes and the bitterness that, that can happen in employment. We get caught up in the, the things of the world that talk about just how terrible it is to, to be in you know, business these days. and We get caught up in that. And that's sinful. Those are sinful attitudes. Sometimes we don't recognize that because everybody's doing it. And we get used to it. 
But it's sinful because it, it does not reflect the glory of God. And that's who we're to be and that's what we're to do. And Jesus Christ promises forgiveness when we repent at the times that we sin. And He promises strength. His strength. The strength of His Spirit to help us do better and to do, follow God the way God wants us to follow Him. And to be the examples and the people that we should be. And He promises all of that because He's given His life for us. See, Christ's reward was not on this earth. Christ's reward was in heaven. All that He went through, all that He suffered for us, His reward was eternal. Because not only does He rule forever in His kingship with God in heaven, but now He awaits us, His faithful saints, His faithful children, His brothers and sisters, to reward us for our obedience. That's Christ's reward. This morning, He wants to give you yours. But we only receive that through Jesus Christ. By being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Being washed clean of our sinful choices and the sinful life, the sinful world. Broken free from bondage by Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this morning, He awaits your choice. Will you be all that you can be for Jesus Christ? Will you submit your life to Him? Will you live for Him? Live for Jesus? And live in light of the rewards that He's promised you. What choice can you make today to be the best employer, the best employee, to encourage those who are still in the workforce to live for Christ each and every day and the responsibilities they have? If we can help you this morning, pray for you, encourage you in any way, will you come as we stand and sing this good song?